From Beacon Point Advisors, I'm Michael Dow. This is Markets in Motion, our regular update on the economy and investing. Today on the podcast, how much stimulus is too much and what are the implications for markets? It's Tuesday, February 23rd. This is Markets in Motion. Uh, but first, what's happening this afternoon in the stock market? Right now, the NASDAQ is uh, just barely in negative territory as we come up on the New York close, with the S&P uh, just slightly positive along with the Dow. And this is very consistent with, uh, with what's happening in interest rate markets. What do I mean by that? Well, we have um, uh, a thesis here at Beacon Point that we're titling uh, Rates and Rotation, that should be uh, the driving force for uh, the next uh, couple of quarters here. Uh, and what it means is very simply that given the direct relationship between higher interest rates and lower stock market prices, and, and we know that given the dividend discount model, that is, stock prices are valued based on future cash flows discounted back to the present. And if the denominator of that equation, which is the discount rate, increases, then that lowers the current uh, stock price uh, on any individual stock or the stock market as a whole. All of this is uh, a good um, summary and a microcosm of what we think is the, is the theme for the next uh, six months uh, at least, which is as inflation expectations increase, we're likely to see a continuation of the rotation out of what may be somewhat stretched valuations in large cap growth stocks represented by the NASDAQ and into things like uh, large cap value uh, and or the S&P and, frankly, um, stocks outside the United States as represented by MSCI EFA or the, the emerging markets. What's causing these higher inflation expectations to push yields up? And the answer is, at least in part, concerns that the massive fiscal stimulus plan that is making its way through Congress, it was, um, it's going to get passed by the House sometime between now and the end of the week, and is likely to be um, discussed or debated and reviewed and edited in the Senate as early as next week, and finally brought uh, uh, brought to the president's desk in some form or another uh, in 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 the next couple of weeks. So we're going to get some stimulus. It just depends on uh, you know what's in it and how and how large the package is. The current size of the bill that's made its way through the House and is likely to pass in the House is close to 1.9 trillion dollars. What's ultimately signed by the president uh, will have to clear a few hurdles in the next step in the journey, which is to to go through the Senate. The Senate is going to be a tougher um, discussion uh, amongst the Democrats uh, and the Republicans who are going to need to compromise, given the very narrow uh, one-vote slim majority that the Democrats currently hold in the Senate. That's the tie-breaking vote that that is represented by the vice president, Kamala Harris. So you know, we've talked a lot about the difficulties um, of legislating, e even under a scenario of a blue sweep, which means the president, uh, the House, and the Senate are all the members of the same party, in this case, the Democrats. The blue sweep wasn't um, uh, an all, all straight-ahead you know, rocket shot into progressive uh, policies, because you have the constraints that are uh, inherent in our democratic system and the rules of the Senate, which require that um, any bills that make it to the floor have to have to achieve a 60-seat majority, a supermajority, in effect, as opposed to a simple 51-vote 50, uh, majority. And as a result, 
the ability to legislate is constrained in the Senate. That uh, isn't going to stop the, um, the, the Congress from putting a bill on the president's desk that will be between 1.2 or so trillion and as much as 1.7 trillion. So we'll use 1.5 trillion as a working number. What does that 1.5 trillion mean and, and how does it relate to the increase in inflation expectations that we've seen, particularly in the last uh, two or three months where, where they've risen uh, 50 or 60 basis points, which is uh, one of the largest and, frankly, fastest increase in inflation expectations that we've seen. Uh, the answer is, is simple. If, if the purpose of fiscal stimulus is to uh, close the output gap in the economy, that is, that the difference in actual GDP and what potential GDP could be under normal circumstances, that's the output gap, uh, the output gap widened dramatically in, in the uh, aftermath of the COVID recession. That is, actual GDP was a whole lot lower than, than, than potential GDP, uh, driven not just by uh, a, a, a diminishment in the demand for, for goods and particularly services, but also uh, it's a supply side uh, shock to the economy, uh, given the uh, most of the shutdown is concentrated in areas like the service industries that um, are particularly affected uh, by, by the social distancing measures that were uh, put into place to reduce the spread of the pandemic. So what are we talking about here? Well, um, if the output gap, which some analysts measure to be about six or $700 billion right now, uh, is, is going to be filled, it's going to be filled by fiscal stimulus. And we already had a $900 billion package uh, signed into law at the end of December of last year. And now with, call it another $1.5 trillion on the way, that's over $2 trillion of additional fiscal stimulus that's meant to fill uh, a $600 billion uh, hole. The implications are potentially higher inflation. It's not a given. It's, it's not unavoidable that in realized inflation will be much higher than the average of the last 10 years, which has been closer to 1.6 percent. Uh, but inflation expectations that are built into, for example, Treasury inflation-protected bonds and other markets are already reflecting the idea that there are going to be um, uh, higher inflation prints in the near future. And we agree, it's, if only for the base effect of comparing inflation on a year-on-year -year basis with a very low level that was realized in April and May of last year during the depths of the crisis. Inflation tends to go down dramatically in economic slowdowns, and in this case, the deepest recession we've seen in the post-World War II period occurred in the second quarter of 2020. And as a result, inflation, realized inflation, that is, the actual CPI that was, that was published uh, by the government, was much lower than it has been uh, lately. So when we compare April, May, June, the second quarter of 2021 with the second quarter of 2020, the comparisons will be, uh, will suffer from the, the base effects of the much lower prints that occurred 12 months before. It's going to make inflation look um, pretty high, something on the order of two and a quarter or two and a half or maybe even higher. And that will be a shock. The, the system hasn't seen an inflation print uh, above two and a half in a very long time. And if we get that, it will potentially cause the stock market to, uh, to reevaluate its uh, assessment of the discount rate that's being used to price stocks today. That is, the multiple that's being used on current expectations for corporate earnings is likely to come down. So just to put a fine point on it, lower interest rates means a lower discount rate for uh, a dividend discount model that's used to, 
to to price stocks and price the stock market as a whole. And with higher interest rates, that means uh, lower valuation levels, which means the stock market could go down if interest rates continue to rise. If they do rise, it's uh, and they have risen of late about 50 or 60 basis points. Another, uh, you know, very interesting development. And given the swiftness of the rise from 90 basis points at the end of 2020 on 10-year Treasury yields to close to 1.4 percent now, so um, a 50 basis points higher move in in six weeks or seven weeks is something uh, to take note of, because it's not necessarily the level of interest rates that's going to cause the stock market to, to reevaluate things. It's actually the speed at which uh, interest rates change. And another name or another way to describe the change in, in, the, in the speed of interest rates isn't just the level, that's the, that's the velocity, but it's the acceleration. It's the second derivative that matters to the equity markets, and, um, and that is uh, captured by interest rate volatility, which has come off very low levels and is increasing. So all of this is a concern, and all of it comes back to the size of the economic stimulus package and its effect on closing the output gap here in the United States. Once the output gap is closed, then you start to see the potential for economic bottlenecks. And economic bottlenecks are what causes uh, price pressures. Uh, if you can't get a particular intermediate good or a service at a particular level because there's too many people, um, too much demand for it, not enough supply, well, like anything else, um, prices will go up. And that's when we'll see these higher than normal inflation prints that are probably going to be transitory and, and, and limited and localized in the second quarter, but perhaps not. One thing we know for sure is that we haven't seen these kind of inflation prints, so when we do get them, they will test the Federal Reserve's resolve. Uh, the Fed, as again we've discussed on many occasions, has shifted from a trigger uh, operating framework or reaction function to something more akin to average inflation targeting. And in fact, that's exactly what Jay Powell is calling their uh, method of addressing higher inflation going forward. Instead of a, a 2 percent trigger, when inflation hits 2 percent, the Fed uh, automatically raises interest rates or has historically. They're not going to do that. They're going to wait and see if inflation averages out to be above 2 percent over an indeterminate period of time. The practical implications of that are straightforward. Interest rates uh, are going to price in higher inflation expectations because the Fed is going to allow inflation to run above its 2 percent target or run hot. How hot? We don't know because we've only been in this new Fed reaction function regime uh, for, for nine months. So we will see. It will test the Fed's resolve. The market will try and test the Fed. But if push comes to shove, it's entirely clear to, to me that the Fed will respond with additional quantitative easing in an attempt to tamp down the rise in interest rates and the rise in yields in order to maintain uh, debt sustainability. That's the key. And that comes back to our overall thesis, our longer-term or secular thesis of the markets, which we've described as financial repression. Just to summarize, financial repression is the uh, willingness and the ability of the federal government to keep a lid on interest rates. So the practical application of financial repression is lower interest rates for longer. And you couple that with uh, higher than expected inflation or higher than, than recent inflation, and you get negative real interest rates. 
that is the challenge that investors face for in coming quarters and probably years and maybe as long as a decade as the federal government pursues financial repression in order to maintain debt sustainability. We did it post-World War II, and we're likely to do it again in the current environment. How do we know that Jay Powell and the Fed are going to continue to, um, to, to try and tamp down interest rates using quantitative easing or, if necessary, a further policy called yield curve control, which will specifically target uh, interest rates uh, outside of the one- to three-year bucket, which is where uh, the maturities that the Fed usually uh, tends to purchase uh, securities in. Uh, in. In yield curve control, the whole point is to keep the 10-year yield at a particular level when they start to employ yield curve control or when they announce it is very uncertain. But to me, if interest rates got above 1.5 percent um, and inflation is hovering around 2 percent, uh, it, it seems reasonable to assume that, um, that the Fed would begin to, to evaluate whether yield, con yield curve control was necessary, because they're going to want to keep interest rates, real interest rates, in the negative uh, because that tends to supercharge the real debt reduction that's required to, to, to lessen the mountain of debt that we've uh, been able to uh, build in the post-COVID uh, recession aftermath. With all the fiscal deficits and, and all the fiscal stimulus that's been applied, all of that just adds to the national debt. And that needs to be reduced, and financial repression is the uh, typical response. So just to, to reiterate some of the comments that Jay Powell made today in his uh, testimony uh, before Congress, he clearly signaled that the central bank was nowhere close to pulling back on support for the uh, pandemic-damaged economy. And, uh, but he was sort of hopeful about expectations for a return to a more normal uh, economic environment later in the year. Uh, the quote is, the economy is a long way from our employment and inflation goals, and it is likely to take some time for substantial further progress to be achieved. That's Jay Powell during today's testimony. So basically what he, he's doing is saying, again, that the commitment of the Fed is to keep interest rates uh, low and monetary policy accommodative until the economy recovers. This, however, is stoking inflation fears and expectations, and it's finding its way into a variety of different asset prices. Commodities, for example, have hit the highest level since 2013 among, uh, amidst this growing inflation concern. In fact, the Bloomberg Commodities Spot Index is up 67 percent from the 2020 low. There's been broad price gains recently in oil, copper, grains, and commodities are, are reflecting this increasing expectation of inflation. So putting it all together, how much stimulus is too much? The answer is the stimulus level that um, closes the output gap and then some, which would cause inflation to rise dramatically, and with it, interest rates here in the United States. We're expecting slightly higher interest rates, and we've gotten those in the last two months. And with it, we've seen a rotation out of large-cap growth stocks into the unloved sectors, including large-cap value, small caps, and international stocks. It is our belief that this rotation is durable and will continue as the economy continues to recover and these more cyclical sectors benefit. So how much stimulus is too much? I'm not sure anyone can answer that question. The economy took a pretty severe hit in the second quarter of 2020, and it might be best to err on the side of caution by doing what is expected to be a little too much and as opposed to too little. But the consequences for markets are pretty straightforward. 
As inflation expectations increase, interest rates rise. If interest rates rise too quickly, it'll derail the stock market rally. Our expectation is that this will be a temporary phenomena if it occurs, and that the Fed will once again come to the rescue of markets. The question of the limitations of the Fed's ability to support markets is the topic of another podcast. And that's it for today's Markets in Motion. We'll be back soon with another of our regular updates on markets and investing. I'm Michael Dow, Beacon Point Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for listening. 